Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. There's a number of things in the news, but I'm going to try to tie them all together. And there's a number of things that have been coming across my own desk in the last uh, week or two. One was a fellow in Australia. Seems like a very level-headed fellow, Romley Stewart. But uh, another one is Albert Einstein, who's come across my desk uh and Albert Einstein wrote something called Why Socialism. Both of them are missing pieces of the puzzle and they're trying to put the puzzle together. You know, I can't say that I'm not missing a few pieces of the puzzle, but I got an awful lot of pieces and I've laid them out in numerous websites and they're all available for free. And uh, people don't always understand the value of a thing if you offer to them for free. But I have to offer it to him for free because I work for Christ. It's not really free because you have to set your delusions aside. You, you know, you have to become a humble soul in order to see the truth. Because part of the problem is that you have been living a lie. Uh, you think you're a Christian. You think you're a pretty good guy. But you actually have been participating in some very evil schemes throughout the ages. And uh, your parents and their parents, all nice people, I'm sure, but they have strayed from the path of Christ. And now they're, you know, reaping the benefits of that strain, that stumbling block. And uh, they have become human resources and merchandise, and you have too. And Romley Stewart is trying to figure out why there is such a loss of freedom in the world today, and his world again is Australia. But uh, and uh, he got into uh, you know the principles of international commercial contracts, d- documents drawn up by what they call the uh, Unidroit, which is uh, an attempt to harmonize this international commercial contract law, uh, first edition. Uh, was published back in 1994, I think, and uh, now they have a more uh, an enlarged edition that was published in 2004, and I'm sure they're going to expand that. And he talks about things like dog Latin, as if most people, you know, like these are when you start throwing around terms that are people are unfamiliar with. Next thing you know, people think you know what you're talking about because you have these terms that nobody knows about. Well, you know, dog, the fact is, is that's one of the reasons why you've been dumbed down in public school education, even private school education have been dumbed down tremendously. Uh, because many of your private school teachers and the curriculums that they purchase are all being printed by people who went to public school. I mean, you know, go back to 1900, most people had not gone to public school. Their education was private. Uh, either in homes or in private educational systems. And there was a lot of information floating around back then that you just don't get in modern education. And 
But you get a diploma that says that you're smart and that you know a lot. And then you go around thinking you know a lot and you don't continue learning. And you don't question what you've already learned because then you have to question the validity of the diploma. It's part of that, you know, everybody's talking about this is what comes from everybody getting a trophy just for showing up. And the reality is, is... uh, that's been going on for a lot longer than most people realize, you know, because, you know, you get this diploma and you get to wear that funny hat and you've graduated and you're supposedly smart. I always remember a story about a fellow who started working at a foundry uh, right out of college and there were two other guys that started working with him and 25 years later he was still working there and the other two guys had gone long time before And the difference between them is that he came in wanting to learn what these old guys had to teach him. And the other guys came in thinking they already knew everything because they had learned it in college and got this diploma. And it says that's the wrong attitude. That you have to have this humble attitude of wanting to learn, wanting to know from somebody who's been doing what you've studied to do, but they've actually been doing it for a generation or more. And they had a huge amount of information. And he took what they had and he put it together with what he had. And he came to a conclusion that they did know more than him. But now with his science background, he could put it all together and he was making pretty good steel. Now that's all been shut down in America. (laughs) We don't do that here anymore. But uh, that's because somebody else thought they really knew a lot because they were really highly educated. And over the... Next couple of shows, we're going to try to talk about some of these things. One of the terms that he pops up is the term dog Latin. And, you know, just saying dog Latin can conjure up certain ideas about what dog Latin is. It's also known as cod Latin and uh, uh, macaronic uh, Latin and mock Latin and uh, canis latinicus. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson even knew about it and he mentioned this. It's it's really just kind of a not classical Latin. You know, it, it's kind of broken down. And people will actually use English words and kind of put a declension on them, uh, conjugate them uh, in a way that makes them sound like they're Latin. And they're not really. It's not quite like pig Latin, you know, like ouye, ikispe, atenle where you just kind of fiddle around with the the words. Um, we used to speak uh, Pig Latin all the time as kids. Uh, but I also we also spoke uh, Dog Latin, I guess, uh, forms of it uh, in the seminary. But we also understood classical and uh, and also what they call church Latin, which is a little bit different than classical Latin. The pronunciation is, is slightly different. But... Latin used to be, somebody once conjectured that one of the greatest dumbing down of of the people of the world, especially Americans, is the removal of teaching Latin in school. Because by teaching Latin, this other language, which is not really a dead language, but by teaching this classical Latin, you could get a better understanding of words. 
And what it actually does is you go back to the origin of these words. I mean, we're we're now operating not so much under common law, but under Roman law in, in America and Australia and all these other places. And it's because Roman law, Roman civil law, uh, are the same, and civil law, are the same systems of jurisprudence. So that's, there's a massive amount of what we see in the legal courts and legal systems today that are really just coming out of Roman civil law. Common law really comes out of natural law. Uh, Roman civil law does, but it comes out of natural law through the filter of contract, including social contracts. Now, there's there's a there's a word nobody wants to hear: social contracts. What is social contracts? And we should do whole shows on that. And we have articles on these things where you can go and study them out. The reality is. In the Bible, one of the chief things, which is a book about government, it's actually, according to Wycliffe, it was a book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. The Bible talks about government in one form or another hundreds, even thousands of times. You know, everything from Babylon to government to Cain city-state a government to Nimrod, uh, you know, the ruler of a government to... Pharaoh, a government, Caesar, a government, the kingdom of God, a government, a different kind of government, but a government nonetheless. And you get all these comments about government setting people free and and leaving the bondage of Egypt and having an entire, if you look at Moses very carefully and not with the preconceived notions that we have, you see that he was setting up a government that had no rulers, no kings, no taxes. There was no taxes. There was actually one little tiny tax, which was a kind of a head tax. And it was the equivalent of about a half dime worth of silver. And you only paid it once a year. And it was just kind of, you know, I'm still in the game kind of thing. You know, it was your ante up. But all the other taxes were completely voluntary. You not only got to choose how much you would give, uh, they tell you how much you should give, but that you actually get to choose. Nobody could kick in your door and collect it. And it supported an entire nation. And it defeated every foe that came against it and tried to destroy it. And uh, it had a certain amount of, you know, uh, stability to it. There were times when it strayed from that, and they talk about that. But most people don't understand what was really going on because of a, a great deal of sophistry in the translations and preconceived notions again. And, and of course, now if I were to go to try to explain this to Einstein uh, and he would actually look at the materials that we offer, he would probably see what we were saying. Most people won't because they are bound up in their own religious beliefs you know, and they would have to recognize the fact that they've got some things wrong in order to straighten out their thinking about things like the Torah and the Old Testament and what Jesus was really doing. Jesus, from the beginning, not only was preaching a kingdom, said he was going to take a kingdom away from the Pharisees, he was going to appoint it to another group. We see him telling that group, and I'm going to appoint unto you a kingdom you know, to his little flock, not to everybody, but to his little flock. Then 
He appoints it to them and says, You are not to be like the princes and rulers of other nations. You are not to exercise authority one over the other. And so then he appointed that government to them. They went around and did contrary to the decrees of Caesar, providing government benefits, which they were calling public religion at that time, uh, but they provided them through faith, hope, and charity through a daily ministration uh, under the perfect law of liberty. In other words, the higher you went in that government depended upon how good a servant you were. The more people would tithe to you because you were providing an actual religious service and they knew that religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. You know, widows and orphans, the needy of your society. People whose families couldn't handle whatever tragedy or trauma was taking place. They would go to church. Now they go to the government because the government has become a religious institution. And the religion you have instead of the religion of Christ is called socialism. Socialism is the religion you get when you don't have true religion. Well, in order to get people to that point, they had to change the definition of religion from the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man to the definition we now see in the dictionary, what you think about a supreme being. So when they made that change, they were able to make other changes, and it's not the only change that they made. And it's a little bit like dog Latin. Dog Latin, they kind of change things a little bit. And how much they change just depends on what direction they want to go. Well, they've changed English. You are now speaking dog English. (laughs) And you become dogs who lick the crumbs from the floor because you have worshipped the gods of this world instead of the God of heaven. You go to church and you say you believe in Jesus. You say you believe in God. But in reality, you lick the hand of your master who provides you with all kinds of benefits. Like the governments of the Gentiles, the governments and the rulers and princes and the presidents of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And you love those benefits. And so I just uh, I just created a web page this morning called Appetite at Preparing You, and uh, we talk about that, you know, and uh, and what appetite really means because that kept coming up in the Old Testament. There's where they talk about appetite, and Polybius talks about it. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits, at and the habit of receiving them, habit the addiction of receiving them by way of rule of force and violence. What rule of force? Taxation. They tax their neighbor. They force their neighbor to contribute so that they can have benefits, so they can benefit from society. People having grown accustomed, he goes on to say, to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence. And now, uniting their forces in democracy, which he believes always fails, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. See, because Rome had become a republic because they had a revolution and threw off the Tarquinian kings. 
And the details of that are a little sketchy in history, but it's very clear that that's when they became a republic. Christ was a king, but he wasn't going to rule over the people like Gideon. He says, I and my family will not rule over you. That's what Gideon said, and that's basically what Christ was saying. But in order to have a people, a nation, Christians, to gather together to do this, to accomplish this, they had to love one another. They had to care for one another. They had to choose to sacrifice. And how that worked is what we call the kingdom of God. And it worked according to the perfect law of liberty. Through faith, hope, and charity. Christians today don't live that way. They live by force. Through men who call themselves benefactors. But anyway, we'll talk more about this when we come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, and the Keys of the Kingdom is to do what Christ said, was to seek the kingdom, seek this government. The kingdom of God is a voluntary government that moves from generation to generation. Your children inherit what you produce. You have a right to what you produce. But you can only maintain that right if you have the character of God. That means the kingdom of God. The character of God is someone who gives life, empowers others. He doesn't enslave his children. He doesn't enslave his neighbors. And he gives on a regular basis. He gives life on a regular basis. This is what the kingdom of God is all about, is this giving of life. And uh, if you don't, lay down your life, give some of your life on a regular basis to somebody, something, then you, you're you not going to find the kingdom of God. You, it's just required. Now, you, you're not going to earn a right to the kingdom of God by doing that. But that has to be your intent. And again, I, I point out the prodigal son He didn't come back to be sovereign. He came back to be a servant. He came back to be a servant in his father's house. And his father evidently recognized that when he saw him coming, he ran out and greeted him and killed the fatted calf in celebration, even though he hadn't done any work yet. That was his intent. Now, that I'm sure if that intent proved not to be true in the days that follow, his father would have kicked him out again. But if he really was coming back to be a servant in his father's house, his father would make him a son again. And he would become heir uh, to the father's house again. But he would have to come back with that servant heart because that's what a son should do is serve his father. 
Honor thy father. That honor means to fatten, strengthen, increase. It doesn't mean just go to bed on time. Okay. In 1 Peter 3, 12, we see Peter saying, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So, are you gathering together, or have you forsaken the gathering together, with others to become the benefactors who don't exercise authority, don't participate in covetous practices, but actually participate in charitable practices. And charitable practices are practices of love. Every time uh, Jesus says the word we see Paul saying that is translated charity, uh, they translate it love. To love thy neighbor is to be charitable to thy neighbor. To be giving, to actually give something of value to thy neighbor. Now, you have to give wisely, but you have to give. In order to give wisely, you have to gather together. And from the beginning, Moses showed the people how to gather together. Actually, Abraham showed the people how to gather together. The altars were altars of living stone. Even for Abraham. And we explain all this in books and articles and everything. But we don't want to go into that. Let's go back to um, Romley Stewart and his dog Latin. And his assumption that these things are all based on contract. And he talks about, you know, all cap names and separating the family name out with a colon and all these kinds of things. And there is something vaguely to that that's true. But none of that will set you free. Because that's not what brought you into bondage. That's just evidence of your bondage. What brought you into bondage was covetous practices of your own and of your parents. In the article, uh, Does a Christian Have a Right to Self-Defense? And of course he does. But the question is, are you really a Christian? <laughs> See, because, uh, you know, Jesus didn't tell Peter to throw away your sword. He says, put it away. We're just not going to use a sword here. He wanted his apostles to go out and buy one if they didn't have one. And evidently, some of them had already bought at least one because one of them guy held up two. And so, the idea of self-defense for a Christian is very real. But the question is, are you really a Christian? Are you making covenants with men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? Because if you are, you're not, at f- you're not free anymore because you made this contract. And your parents could make a contract. I mean, Israel was in bondage for 400 years because of a contract their parents made. You know, 400 years later, they're still in bondage because their parents made a contract. They were born in that bondage. And we even said at the time, this will be a statute in Egypt forever. And it was. And it still is. And now your parents have made contracts. They didn't always have the same stipulations of only 20%. And through crafts of state, they can often increase that, you know, bondage. You know, the amount that you owe. I mean, you, you, if you had, say, 
across the board 20% income tax, then, but you also have property tax and sales tax and gasoline tax and, well, guess what? You're paying way more than 20%. And it becomes a burden. And what happens? You cast out your children. You abort children. By the millions, you abort children. You know, an interesting story came to me today is that, uh, you know, I wrote about in the book Covenants of the Gods, in the first chapter, is holy matrimony versus marriage, which is one of those social contracts where they spell out in the books what the terms of the contract are, and yet you plead ignorance. What you should be pleading is that you were lazy and didn't look up the rules. I mean, you go get a social security number. Who read the contract? Who reads the terms of social security? Almost nobody. Well, that's not... You can't plead ignorance. You can plead stupidity. But stupidity won't set you free. But at least admitting that you were foolish is a good start. You have to turn around, start thinking another way and go another way in order to be free. You don't just get free because you, you, you're back there feeding the pigs and you say you had it better in your father's house. You actually have to head back with the intent of being a servant. So how many of you are gathering together to be servants to your fellow man? Because if you're not gathering together to be a servant to your fellow man, you are not gathering together in the name of Christ. If you're only gathering together for what you can get out of it, you're gathering together in the name of Cain and Nimrod and Satan and the adversaries of Christ. And you can call yourself a church, but in reality, you're the synagogue of Satan, the church of Satan. Because you're not gathering together to give. Christ came to give. Christ came to serve. Do you come together to serve? Knowing about dog Latin and uh, commercial contracts and and uh, international uh, syntax and the Chicago syntax, uh, that's not going to set you free. It's not, certainly not going to give you any pillar of fire protection when the armies of Pharaoh come down upon you. What's going to do that is that you have to start caring about your neighbor enough to come together with the intent. You know, people complain all the time about corporations take over. And I hear these people talking about capitalism or corporation, which is really not capitalism. Capitalism is uh, what they're calling capitalism is corporatism. It's not even it's not even capitalism, it's deadism because you don't you don't have any capitalism in the United States. You have an imitation capitalism in the United States. Like monopoly. <laughs> it's an imitation of business. It's not real money, it's not real property, you don't really own anything, you don't have any capital to invest. You don't even own your own labor. Oh, that's okay. You don't need to own your own labor because you got Social Security to back you up. I mean, uh, somebody was telling me they were in a Social Security office to sign up. You know, they were well over, I guess they were 65 anyway. And they went into the 
office and they, they said there wasn't any old people in the office. They were all young people in there to collect Social Security. So he talks about my, uh, styles and all this stuff, but you, it's a delusion to think that that is what's going to save you. You, you have, have to come out of it. All that is, is dead if you do not gather together to care for one another. And that's why we started the network, so that people could gather together and start caring about one another. Don't have to agree with everybody, but you have to start caring about others. Come together with the intent to serve. Not to rule over other people, but to serve. Now, the, the power of Rome is overcome by the power of Christ. And the power of Christ is in the fact that he laid down his life to serve. You see, you won't have access to the power of Christ unless you lay down your life to serve others. You gather together. You take time out of your day to serve others. You, you contribute to serve others. To help others. And you, you get to decide how you're going to do that. How you're going to contribute. But you, you should not, you know, the shepherd does not lead a scattered flock. It does not lead a flock that fails to come together. Another article we put together a little bit more on was the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. You know, the six cities of refuge. And people think, well, and, and they draw pictures. Like, I mean, you go, you go look up cities of refuge and images on Google and they show pictures of men chasing men, even women, with a sword or a dagger going to kill them. But they're making it in the gate of the city of refuge and so now you can't kill them. So I guess that's kind of like making it to the hole-in-the-wall gang. <laughs> it turns the Levites into refuge for murderers and cutthroats, you know, manslaughter people. That's not what that was. That was an appeals court. And those appeals courts were centralized. You know, it's just like your different districts. Ninth District, you know, where you could appeal up. And you, I got a, I didn't get a fair trial. And you appeal it up. And they listen. And if they acquit you and somebody kills you, they could be held for murder. Because they had no right to kill you because you weren't convicted. No one had decided fact and law. I mean, the courts let you off. Now, what happened, of course, eventually is those cities of refuge became corrupt, taking bribes to let people off the hook. Now, you could have replaced those Levites in the cities of refuge by making sure that your minister picked a minister that wasn't corrupt. But you would have to work at that. You know, but freedom's not free, so that's what you would do. But instead of doing that, the people said, let's have a king and he can fire, you know, the porters of the temple. So if somebody's taking bribes, he can fire them. And, and Saul did that. But he also imposed a tax. First tax in Israel. Other than the little half denarii tag, half shekel tax. Um, and Saul, Samuel came in and says, you've done this foolish thing. But the people allowed, but because the people, you know, they were told that, you know, if you want this king, he's going to take and take and take and take. If you want this president, he's going to take and take and take and take. And 
and he's going to turn your sons and daughters into his servants. And when you cry out, I'm not even going to hear you, which takes us back to Peter saying, why? Because they weren't righteous, because they were already rejecting God. Most Christians have rejected Christ. They actually have rejected Christ. And if you go up and say what Christ was really doing, teaching us how to come together in a voluntary government of faith, open charity under the perfect law of liberty, and you cannot pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You cannot be desirous of their dainties. And if you have an appetite for those dainties, you should put a knife to your throat. Proverbs 23 the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods anyway. But you've done all that. And so you're not Christians. You don't believe God. You don't follow the Bible. You follow Cain, Nimrod, the mighty provider instead of the Lord, Babylon, and the only salvation you can find is to actually change your thinking, repent, turn around, and go back the other way. Start gathering together with the character of Christ in the name of Christ for the purposes of Christ, which was to serve. God and your fellow man. Only then will you be set free. Now, the other thing that was in the news is, and we will tie this eventually with Albert Einstein and his Why Socialism, was the leader of a, a famous socialist and leader of a, uh, of a country recently died. It was Cuba. And Fidel Castro died. And his brother took over. And you, you can you can look up on the internet and you can find pictures of Fidel Castro shooting people on the ground tied up in the head. And his brother tying people, prisoners of war, tying them to be executed. Which is all war crimes. It's, it's murder. I mean, you have captured somebody, whether they're the enemy or not, and then you, you kill them. You put them to death. Uh, that is not what Christ said to do. He said, love thy enemy. Give drink to thy enemy. He didn't say put a bullet in their head. And and you see uh, people, teachers, uh, I see a lot of black people wearing Che Guevara t-shirts. And uh, even um, the, the, the football player who doesn't want to stand for the national anthem is wearing a shirt that promotes... Uh, Cuba and, and Fidel Castro who hated blacks. Yeah, he went to Angola and uh, fomented revolution there and a few other places. He went embraced... Uh, uh, but that's all PR. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the different uh, black leaders in South Africa and, and, and that. But that's PR. The actual black on the ground in Cuba, is, you know, who could be arrested and abused by the police, that's very common. And there's there's thousands of people who will testify to that. Or he he put the death put the death at least seventy thousand Cubans. Now 
that's that's almost nothing compared to what Mao Zedong put to death. But Mao Zedong had a lot more people to work with. Cuba's a pretty small island. And tens of thousands of people fled the island. And this, these statistics of, you know, 73, 74,000 people put to death by his regime is probably not accurate. A lot of people die because of their exposure in the prisons and their abuse and everything, and there's no record. The, the numbers are growing all the time. Some estimate is over 140,000, 150,000 people put to death. And then how many people died earlier because of the abuse that they had to suffer? And uh, so, I mean, uh, newspaper reporters, I mean, anybody could be arrested and thrown in jail for even daring to oppose any opinion of Fidel Castro. Most of the people going around supporting him now, somebody was on a college campus asking, you know, who would make a better president? Trump or Fidel Castro. And they were hesitant. And uh, some even finally uh, said that they thought Fidel Castro would be a better leader. And, I mean, it's just appalling that they have no idea what life in Fidel Castro Cuba was like. I mean, starvation, deprivation, uh, fear, abuse... Uh, unwarranted arrests, people disappearing, murdered. Uh, you know, and go look at the human rights record of independent human rights groups of what went on in Cuba for decades. And, I mean, these, these people will squeal and cry. Of course, they won't, they would not be allowed to have the demonstrations we've seen concerning the original this last election in the United States, uh, where people were, you know, saying, not my president. You you go around and say, Castro is not my prime minister, not my president. <laughs> in Cuba, you're going to see the inside of a Cuban jail really quick. <laughs> if you get there conscious, you'll be lucky. <laughs> uh, that just don't happen there. And these people will be, I mean, but these are the useful idiots that that all these socialist regimes come up. And just to give you just a brief rundown, you know, communism is the ultimate socialism. Well, I don't know if it's the ultimate, but it's, Karl Marx was for democracy because he knew it would lead, because of the selfish nature of mankind, it would lead to socialism. And social, which is what, you know, Nazis are democratic socialists. And socialism leads to communism. So, what has communism actually done? Homicides in, in, from communism. You know, uh, and genocide from communism. There's over 58 million people murdered by communism. By communist leaders. To maintain their position as leaders. Genocide, over 30 million were put to death. Uh, death tolls, uh, some estimate over 90 million, even 100 million people altogether. And, and again, these are not death tolls for early deaths, people who died early because of the abuses and suffering that they had during their life. 
and the struggle to survive under communist state is unbelievable. The, the interesting statistic that I just recently heard was that, you know, in the, as I said, in the first chapter of Covenants of the Gods, Holy Matrimony versus Marriage, I talk about the one-child contract that Chinese people were supposedly to sign if you had a child. You couldn't have another one. Well, what they... So, supposedly millions of girl babies were put to death. You know, left, exposed, died. And it was quite a holocaust. And and millions did die. But now we find that millions survived. They just were not registered. Their birth wasn't registered. They didn't get any benefits for those children because that's the way the Chinese government, the more children... you know, the more people in your family, the more benefits you're entitled to. Although they didn't want you having large families, they wanted you having small families, so they get you to sign the one-child contract. If you start to have a second child, you had to pay back all the benefits you got with the first child or abort the second child. Well, what they did was they just didn't register their child. They had a girl baby. They didn't register the girl baby. Because then they would only register the boy baby, which is really what they want anyway, because they're going to draft the boy baby. But anyway, it turns out now that millions of girl children were simply hid. You know, like like Moses in the reed basket was hid. Was, was he really in danger of being murdered or registered? I mean, who's going to call the midwife if she comes and kills the baby? But who's going to call the midwife if she's going to come and register the baby? And why not register the baby? Well, because thou shalt make no covenants with them, nor with their gods. Anyway, we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back. So, what did uh, what did socialism, which eventually became communism, uh, all these parties are constantly talking about empowering the worker and and giving property back to the to the uh, worker. And uh, Stalin talked about getting rid of the kulaks, uh, who were the property owners from about 1930 to 1932. Uh, with the deportation of two million uh, kulaks, landowners, people who own land, uh, and they they supervised employees, they supervised workers, uh, they supervised the peasants. The taxes on the peasants were only about ten percent. Uh, 
you know, which was an income tax uh, upon them. Today they pay a lot more, but millions upon millions were deported or died. You know, in Ukraine, four million Ukrainians uh, and two million others died in the famines between 1932 and 1933, which was a direct result of removing the kulaks between 1930 and 1932. They not only removed the kulaks, they confiscated their grain and their property, including their seed grain, so there was nothing to plant. And this, the horrible story, I mean, millions of people starving to death is not a pretty sight. It's horrendous, uh, difficult to end. Bodies just loaded up on carts. Children, women, men died. And, and some of the, the evil that came out of that, some of the good came out of that. Like I was just saying with the, the, uh, Chinese, who, you know, many children were aborted. Many children uh, have been aborted over the years in order to have that one male child. And many children were exposed and died. I mean, uh, you've seen the stories of people who would take in these children. Uh, A child with a deformity wasn't going to make it. And, uh, but yet, in a country of a billion people, evidently several million girl children did survive. They just were hidden from the public census. And in many cases, evidently, the public census people turned a blind eye, which is what we see with what we translate as midwives in Egypt turned a blind eye. They didn't report the children. And people were hiding children. And Moses was hid in the Tulis. And so, is that actually going on today? Are people hiding children from the registrar? Because what happens when you register a child? And I tell you, they don't like it if somebody hides a child from the registrar. I mean, theoretically, to register your children is a choice. Theoretically. You know, like theoretically, in Cuba, blacks are equal. <laughs> in reality, they are not. There, There's probably no country in the world where blacks and whites enjoy the same rights uh, that even come close to the same rights that they enjoy in the United States. Probably none. Maybe Canada. I don't know. There's not a lot of blacks up in Canada. But, uh, uh, yeah, race relationships in America should be the greatest. But in the last eight years, they've really gone downhill. And there's a great deal of media effort just fueling uh, racial inequality and racial discrimination. And, And much of it's coming out of the black community. And... You know, it's foolishness, but, you know, it's hard to tell them that. But anyway, if we if we look at some of the statistics that went on, you know, in the Russian famine, it was there were other famines besides the 32 to 33 back in 1921. There was a, a famine that caused the death of at least 5 million people. Now, 
famine that causes the death of five million people causes tremendous, tremendous suffering to 20 million people. Well, they, they go to bed hungry. You know, there's a famous actress who was so hungry during some of these periods when she was growing up. She was never able to have children because her internal organs at that particular time did not mature. She was never, never, never able to have children. So there's the long-term effect, just this statistic, you know. I mean, it was Stalin who said, you know, when one person uh, is is murdered or dies, it's a tragedy. When a million people die, it's a statistic. You know, we just kind of become disassociated with it. Uh, 10,000 deaths resulting from the actions of international communism movement in Communist Party not in power. <laughs> 10,000 deaths from the guy, the communists, not in power. In Latin America, 150,000 people died because of the communists. Millions in Vietnam uh, died. Yeah, at least one million died. And not that I advocated the war in Vietnam. I think that was, it was the other side of the same coin. You know, we have a page on socialism and it says, under capitalism, man exploits man. Under socialism, the process is reversed. Which, of course, the reversal of that process is man exploits man. The truth is, man exploits man. It's the spirit of Cain. And either that spirit grows in you or the spirit of Christ grows in you. You can't have it, you know, it's one way or the other. So either you're laying down your life, casting your bread upon the waters, gathering together with the intent to serve, or you're doing something else. If you're doing something else, you're going to have a million people in the Eastern Bloc put to death by communism. Put to death. I mean, I'm talking about all the other suffering that often leads to death. I'm talking about put to death. 1.5 million in Afghanistan. 1.7 million in Ethiopia. These are fairly small countries. 2 million in North Korea, which is, you know, only half of the country of Korea. 2 million in Cambodia. There are only 3 million people living in Phnom Penh. And half of them died. 20 million people in the Soviet Union. Whoa, wait a minute. We just jumped from 2 million in Cambodia to 20 million in the Soviet Union. 65 million in the People's Republic of China. But of course, that 65 million, that's just a statistic. I mean, it doesn't mean anything, right? If 65 million people were put to death, hundreds of millions of people suffered. Untold. Not dying. Not dying yet. Dying early, maybe, but not dying yet. And they're part of that statistic. You don't get rid of 65 million people without misery and mayhem for 100 million, 200 million, 300 million people, half a billion people. All out of communism. Now, people will say, well, capitalism isn't much better. Well, uh, capitalism is way better. But the fact is, you haven't had capitalism for 100 years. Capitalism is when you own your property. You don't own your property. 
You own legal title. We explain that. You don't own your labor, which is the chief means of production. You only own a percentage of your labor and they can take more and more every year. What's really going on is a spirit is covering the land, dwelling in the hearts and minds of the people. Nature hates a vacuum. And the spirit of evil is dwelling in your temple, in the temple, in, in seven billion temples on the earth, which we call people. There's a spirit of selfishness dwelling in there. And you'll see the evidence of that selfishness growing. World War One. How many people died in World War One? I? I mean, it's a big war, wasn't it? I mean, died because of the war in World War One. 37 million people. That's a lot. That's a lot of people dying. Now, many of them didn't die from bullets. They died from disease. Artillery was very powerful in killing a lot of people. But disease, I mean, in Civil War, most of the people died from disease and infection. Not from bullets. I mean, there were 10,000 people that died in a single battle in a matter of hours, but most of the people died of disease, which slower death, but dead just the same. 37 million people died in World War One. How many of those were military? There's a statistic. It's only about 3% were civilians. You know, some people will raise that up to as much as 6%, depending on how you calculate your figures but it was three to five percent of the people were civilians the rest were military you know military personnel in world war ii they say 66 million people died in world war ii how many of those were military how many of those were civilian more than half the people who died in World War II were civilians. Some figure around 63 to 67% of the casualties of World War II were civilians. And part of that is artillery, but part of that is extermination. Just killing people. So, what causes that? Selfishness. So, either... You're cultivating selfishness in a person or you're cultivating unselfishness in a person, which is charity. Charity is the antithesis of selfishness. Selfishness is wanting to keep your life safe, complete, and intact Covetousness is one step farther away from selfishness. You're actually coveting other people's lives. You want benefits at other people's expense. And of course that will turn you into, you know, a beast. And whatever government you are belonging to will become a beast. Because of its covetous practices. The covetous practices will make you a human resource, but it will also make you a beast. Where you take a bite out of one another. Where the zombie apocalypse becomes a reality. Now, what would give you immunity to that is to turn around 
and care about others as much as you care about yourself. As much, at least as much as you care about yourself. So now, if if, if it takes you four hours a day, maybe five hours a day, to produce everything you're going to need, your clothes, your house, your food, you know, whether it's paying rent or building a house or whatever, it's going to take you five hours of labor a day to provide all that. Half the working week. Uh, maybe it's going to take you, you know, actually in most cultures it takes you 75 to 80% of your labor in order to do that. So it would take most of the week. How do you, if you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, and it takes you 50 hours a week or say 35 hours a week to uh, take care of your needs, you have to work another 35 hours a week to provide for your neighbor. Because you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you have to work at the same job, or, but you have to put in the same amount of time and energy in order to qualify as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you're following Christ. And as a follower of Christ, you have to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You have to care about his property, his rights, his children, his grandchildren, as much as you care about your own. So if you take care of your needs in 35 hours, you've got to work another 35 hours to provide for your neighbor. I mean, that's just the way it works. Otherwise, you don't qualify as a Christian. You don't qualify, certainly as a prodigal son who's returned to your father's house to serve. You you don't get into heaven by token faith. You get into heaven by real faith. Real faith means faith in Christ who came to serve. If you don't come to serve, you don't gather to serve, you know, get ye from me, you worker of iniquity. The foolish virgins run out of oil. What is oil? What, what What is that a metaphor for? I mean, there's water, there's oil. Oil is something different than water. It's lighter than water, floats to the top of water, but it seems almost thicker than water. Yet, here we got the foolish virgins run out of oil. Oil, something they anoint with. Your anointing oil is what you do for others. How you care about others. Your investment in the kingdom of God. Your contribution to the government of God. That's where your oil comes from. If you run out of oil, it's because you've been neglecting the service of religion. And religion being the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. You've neglected your duty to God and your fellow man. And so you run out of oil. And so you, you, you can't go in without oil because you have no lights. So you have to go get oil. So you, you go off to get it and it's too late. 
you come back and the door is shut and locked and bolted. Christ draws that picture because you need to attend to the weightier matters now. While you're young or even middle-aged, I don't care, even old, you need to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Socialism says no. You have this vague caring for society, but you institute the institutions of force and violence, which breeds, you know, uh, the great purge in China that killed 690,000 people. Um, actually, that was the, the great purge, I guess, was originally in the Soviet Union. Uh, but then they had another purge in China, which actually killed even more. Um, there, I mean, if you go through Russia, I mean, it's just one event after another because, uh, you know, Operation Lentil, uh, the Crimean uh, Tatars, uh, the Volga Germans uh, deported in 1941. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. So, because the Spirit dwelled in the hearts and minds of the people. That same Spirit dwelled in 1 Samuel 8. Where they didn't care enough about their neighbor who was, you know, brutalized. And then the broods were exonerated through the cities of refuge, which were the appeals courts. Because the Levites there who ran those appeals courts took bribes and let the rich men off the hook for the evil that they did. And instead of purifying their network of ministers by saying, you know, because you only pick the minister that ministers to you. You license that minister to minister to you. They're chosen of God. You pick them because they've qualified. They don't belong to anybody. They have no inheritance in the land. They are not sovereign. They are servants of a nation. But because of that, they can eat of the altar. They can eat of what they receive. And, of course, what's their motivation? Is that they have to be, they come as servants to take care of the needy of their society. When they do a good job at doing that, people contribute more to them. Today, ministers are contributed to because they tickle the ears of the people. I've started a page about ears. And hearing, it's amazing how many times in the Bible they've, uh, they talk about, you know, the ears. That, this idea of being able to hear the gospel, hear the truth, hear the Spirit of God, is itself a gift. It is given unto some to hear. My sheep hear my voice. Over and over again we hear this. I'm talking to you, but I don't know that you're hearing the Spirit that I'm talking from. You have to have your ears open. So I, I give you statistics. I give you, draw pictures. Talk about methods and policies and systems. So that you can see what you do not see. I mean, these kids growing up and thinking communism is good. Socialism. You got Albert Einstein. 
thinking socialism. Why socialism? It was an article he wrote back in 1949 uh, for uh, the Monthly Review. I think that magazine was just coming out at the time. It was a socialist journal. And it actually is not as pro-socialism as you would think, although it certainly has a certain pro-socialist theme to it. But the interesting thing is he was in America because he was fleeing the democratic socialist regime of Germany, which was the Nazis. They were socialists. And, of course, you could say, well, it was just because, you know, they had some bad ideas. But socialism is a good idea. But where do we find socialism being a good idea? I mean, you'll see all kinds of people, you know, putting out memes and little videos about, you know. I mean, there's a whole video on Castro being so pro-black. The actual history, But they just leave out the fact that black people were often brutalized, arrested, even murdered. I mean, Che Guevara writes about the fact that he killed black men just because they were black. They didn't even do anything. He didn't consider them human. And then whenever I see, you know, someone who is black wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt, I think that guy is totally brainwashed. He doesn't even know history. And of course, that's why I remember when they took history out of education. Kids aren't... And I just talked to somebody day before yesterday who was saying that her grandkids wanted to learn about World War II. You know, with the World War II in the Pacific with the Japanese. They were not allowed to study it in school. They weren't allowed to learn about it. Because, you know, racial overtones or something. I'm not sure exactly what their rationale were. But they not only aren't teaching history, they don't allow history. And now, of course, we see them rewriting history on a regular basis. I mean, 1984 was, what, 30 years ago? (laughs) 1984, which is, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton's favorite book. I always thought that was amazing that that was their favorite book. She said that. I mean, I, I was just like, what? That's your favorite book? I mean, whose side are you on in that book? <laughs> but uh, the uh, the amazing thing is, is that people now don't know history, but they think they know the truth. And Albert Einstein was a very clever guy, but he didn't know. And what didn't he know? What didn't he understand? That, that's a big question. But he said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So show me where socialism has worked. I mean, people say, oh, well, look at Sweden, Norway. But they say they're not socialists. They have elements of socialism. They have elements of capitalism. The United States has elements of capitalism. But it doesn't really have capitalism. What is the real problem? China has socialism, communism. And we thought, and millions of 
you know, children were aborted, millions of female children uh, were neglected and died and given away and left in ditches. But there is still good out there. People, you know, but good is a relative term. You know, a person can be very good here, but very bad over here. If we're going to fight the evil that is growing in the world today, we have to put on the full armor of God. We can't just be good in this area. And not so good in that area. We have to be good in all areas. Einstein was smart in a lot of areas. Actually, there's some flaws in his theory of relativity, <laughs> which we talk about in other shows. But he was a pretty sharp guy. He believed there was a God. He believed it was obvious that there was a God. And scientists today, like we've explained, are proving that there appears to be a heaven and hell in their multiple dimensions. And all hell is and heaven is. The many mansions of Christ that he talks about, many, my father's house has many mansions. Those mansions are dimensions in which elements live. And, and right now scientists are trying to open the door to those other dimensions. I don't think they'll get heaven's door open, but they might get hell's door open. <laughs> and it appears with what they're doing, and that's exactly what they're doing. But, and then Shakespeare will be right. Hell will be empty, and all the demons will be here. What's happening is, we're not as independent thinkers as we'd like to think we are. We are not making as many choices. We are living in the tree of knowledge. And we are be, our ideas and our thinking is manipulated, and with that, we are being manipulated. If you want to be free, you have to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We'll be right back. So this article, Why Socialism, and we have some of uh, quotes from that on the website now. Uh, and it, uh, Einstein was imagining that the competition and profit motive of capitalist society leads to cycles of boom and depression and encourages selfishness instead of cooperation. Well, actually, the profit motive doesn't lead to booms of depression and uh, and recession. It's uh, one of the things that does that is, uh, is the money system. Most of the depressions that we have suffered in the United States, uh, although there can be 
you know, external forces, you know, like uh, Europe is having a depression, so therefore it doesn't buy American goods, and then that slows down the economy in the United States. And so you're going to have, I mean, we have this in nature. You, it's seasonal. You know, there's this flux of, of um, you know, winter and summer, you know, because things fluctuate. But the real depressions that we've suffered in the United States have been the result of the Federal Reserve tightening its money supply. And it's tightened its money supply in order to get more collateral. And that collateral has grown over the centuries. Um, not only for the Federal Reserve, which is only a little over a century old, uh, but for um, this idea of, of of banking where, you know, if you have a note and you're purchasing something with a note rather than actual substance, that's not a capitalist process. Uh, that that doesn't exist in capitalism, where you're purchasing things with a note. Capitalism is you're purchasing things with capital. Uh, in other words, you have the means of production. You know, if I give you a note that says... You know, I'm going to give you 100 pounds of graphite so you can make your pencils. You don't have the means of production yet. You just have a note. Capitalism is when you actually get the graphite so you can make your pencils. You can't make pencils with a note. You can only make pencils with graphite and wood. So you have to have the real wood. You have to have the real graphite. Etc. And the means of production belong to you. They're in your hands. Now, that's capitalism. So the whole idea of having notes instead of the actual substance is the reverse of capitalism. That's not capitalism. Notes are not capital. Notes are notes. Notes are promises. Promises are like the wind. They're they're not worth the paper they're printed on. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's an important aspect to realize that as soon as you had a Federal Reserve System, which has caused most of the depressions in the United States, you know, I mean, when the Great Depression, out of that, we needed they needed more collateral for debt. And they got it through the Social Security Act. You became a surety for the debt of the United States. A portion of your labor became a surety for the debt of the United States to the Federal Reserve. And so then they loosened up money supply because you had millions of people signing up for Social Security waiving a right to a portion of their labor that now could be taken from them in the form of income tax to pay the interest on the loans that they were glad to make. Now, because they had a guarantee of somebody paying the interest. Ultimately, they don't even care about the interest. They care about power. And you didn't see that process going. There were people at the time that warned against this. But you didn't see that process taking place at the time. First with the Federal Reserve Act and then with the Social Security Act. Which is all part of the same process. Where you became human resources to pay the debt. Charity for debt. Snared. What should have been for your welfare was an actually a snare, which Paul says, King David says, Proverbs says, you know, having one purse, it warns you 
in this over and over and over again. But you didn't see any of that because you just were going to church to love Jesus. You weren't going to church to serve. And you didn't hire ministers who were going to serve you. You hired ministers that were going to make you feel good. You know, ear-tickling ministers that tell you how great you are. You know. And so that's what you get. Because you've been on this road of selfishness for a long time. You, you're going to stay on the same road, but now you need to turn around and start becoming unselfish. Instead of looking for somebody to give to you, tickle your ears, scratch your back, you need to think about what you're going to do for them. So anyway, he imagined that capitalism causes this. He was wrong because he didn't understand capitalism. He thought he lived, in 1941, he thought he lived in a capitalist system. But once you had Federal Reserve, it really wasn't capitalism anymore. It had elements of capitalism. It had a kind of a virtual capitalism. You know, like, you know, you can go slay dragons on the internet in a virtual reality. Real dragons don't die. Just brain cells. (laughs) They die. Uh, because you imagine that you're accomplishing something. But it's in a digital reality. And now, you don't even have the notes. All your money is in digital format, and that could all go away in a twinkling of an eye. So, he was wrong there. Uh, and in reality, it's socialism that breeds selfishness. Actually, I should put a video up that talks about that on that page. Uh, we already have it on our other pages on socialism. Um, he, the, so anyway, we talk about that on, in the article. Uh, it says, while selfishness may always rear its ugly head through the spirit of Cain and Nimrod, the socialist state offers no immunity nor natural resistance to selfishness. Cain and Nimrod both established socialist states. Nimrod was we see the translation as a mighty hunter before the Lord, but the word there, hunter, is actually normally provisions. He was a mighty provider, a giver of provisions. You know, a socialist state. That's what that's what Babylon is. That's why you're in Babylon now. It's a worldwide socialist state. And you're going to see some upheavals probably pretty soon. I can just, you know, I... I can't tell you when things are going to boil over, but I see the lid shaking. <laughs> I can hear the rumbling in the pot. Uh, Einstein also thought that educational systems of capitalist societies would be severely undermined because people will educate themselves only to advance their careers. Well, the reality is, is the public school educational systems of the United States and every other country are not capitalist educational systems. They are socialist educational systems. Public school is a socialist institution. That's what you're doing, is you're instituting socialism. The money system is socialist. The educationalist system is socialist. You don't own your labor, that's socialism. You don't own your land. That's also a result partially from at least fundamentally because of the Federal Reserve System, the note system. And we explain that in great detail. 
So you're not in a capitalist state. And this is where Einstein was really missing it. It's also why his theory of relativity falls short. Because he was missing pieces of the puzzle. Which we talked about in the beginning of the first hour. So, any educational system provided by a socialist government only educates for the advancement of socialism. Which is why they can't teach you history anymore. Because if you actually knew history, you'd realize that socialism doesn't work. They they can't teach you history. They can't teach you how socialism brings about war, or socialism brings about death and destruction. How when Plutarch said the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits, which is what? Socialism. If you have somebody has the power to give you everything you want, he also has the power to take away everything you have. Thomas Jefferson. The same guy who talked about dog Latin, <laughs> which we talked about at the beginning of the show. So, anyway, what did what did Einstein, you know, Albert actually say in his article? One thing he said is, I am convinced there is only one way to eliminate these grave evils, which he is talking about, this selfishness. And namely, through the establishment of a socialist economy accompanied by an educational system, which again is socialist, which would be oriented toward social goals. In such an economy, the means of production are owned by society itself and are utilized in a planned fashion. Who's making the plan? Hitler? Evidently, Albert didn't like Hitler's plan. (laughs) Uh, Stalin? Lenin? Who's making the plan? Che Guevara? All the black people would be dead by now if Che Guevara had the power over the New World Order. Because he hated blacks. I mean, you know, if the Cuba had not been propped up by other people that went bankrupt propping, propping them up, it'd be worse off than it is. But what happened in Cuba is the same thing to some degree that happened in China. Some people... And Cuba began to farm and learn a lot about organic farming, not because uh, they had a passion for organic farming, as we see rising up in America, but because they couldn't afford fertilizer because they were so poor. Hard times allows initiative of the individual. How are those families doing that hid their daughter rather than leave her laying on a road or dump her somewhere in a dumpster or a border. Struggle makes you strong. If it doesn't kill you, like it killed 100 million people, it will make you stronger. What he is missing when he's describing this he is convinced, is he didn't understand what religion was. He thought religion was what you think about God. Because they had already changed the definition by 1941. Religion, according to the Bible, religion, which is only mentioned five times in this book supposedly about religion, but really mentions government 500 times, 700 times, but it's not a book about government. It's a book about religion because that's what you want to hear 
<laughs> I'm being sarcastic, sarcasm alert. The, the, this book says that religion is how you take care of the needy. You know, they visit the widows and orphans of society. You're not visiting them, you know, to bring them milk and cookies. You're visiting them to help them out because they need help. That's what visiting means. So the planned economy really should be by you. But you can't plan an economy because you're too selfish. Lenin was selfish. Stalin was selfish. Mao Zedong was selfish. They weren't like Christ. They wanted power and more of it. And communism requires power. Socialism requires power and somebody to make the plan. Say who gets what. Who has to work and who doesn't have to work? Who gets stuff for not working? Who gets stuff for working? Somebody's making that plan, not the law of nature. See, if you really had a capitalist system, you'd own your land. There'd be no property tax. If you wanted a road into your community, you'd have to get together with your community and build the road. People would soon say, I'm not going to that community because their roads suck. And you say, well, the only way we're going to get more people here is we get together and build better roads. That's capitalism. And the common roads belong to everybody, not just to the people in your local community. And people who are just and prosperous and hardworking would draw more people who are just and hardworking. But a socialist state is going to draw every lazy bum in the world. And it's going to cultivate that laziness by giving them whatever they want, whether they want it or not, or whether they earned it or not. Wanted it enough to work for it. They don't want it enough to work for it. They wanted it enough to want it. But that's called wantonness. We have another article on that. The education of the individual in addition to promoting his own innate abilities would attempt to develop in him a sense of responsibility for his fellow men in place of the glorification of power and the success of our present society. What was the definition of religion 200 years ago at the founding of the United States? The pious performance of your duty. Duty, responsibility, same thing. To God and your fellow men. In place of the glorification of power and success of your present society, as Albert writes, with the glorification of God. That's what you do. Because what is God? God is the giver of life. So you glorify a God who gives life. Now there are gods out there who take life. (laughs) And we imagine the Old Testament God was a God of vengeance. But actually he was a God of great patience and a giver of life. And someone who empowered the individual to set them free. And he's the same God of the New Testament. It's just you don't understand the Old Testament. Anyway, this establishment of a socialist economy may state that uh, the means of production are owned by society itself, but the ownership is collective rather than done individually. This can only be accomplished at the cost of individual liberty. 
It is assumed that the education of the individual, in addition to promoting his own innate abilities, would attempt to develop in him a sense of responsibility. But that responsibility is not to what is right, but it's to the perpetuation of the socialist state. And we hear it all the time. You know, the the greater good. The greater good is the power that rules and makes the plan and decides for you. You don't... The greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And socialism is all about everything you get back from society, since you own none of it personally, is gift to you. You no longer have to be charitable. You no longer have to take care of your parents. It's the Corbin of the Pharisees. That was what they were doing, is introducing a system of socialism in Judea. And it was making the word of God to none effect. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. And you have no religion if you have no daily ministration that takes care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You are not religious. Only in the sense of the modern definition of religion. Because you don't go to church to perform your duty to God and your fellow man. You go to church to hear what you want to hear. Albert fails to realize that the earlier definition of religion included the responsibility for his fellow man. And he failed to realize it partly because he was miseducated by the brutish pastors of his day who have done nothing but get more brutish as we've come along in history. He writes about private capital tends to become concentrated in a few hands partly because of competition amongst the capitalists. But we should all be capitalists because we would all want to have the means of production. Our labor is, is the primary means of production. He assumes that this is partly because of the technology develops uh, and the increasing uh, division of labor encourages the formation of large units of production at the expense of the small ones. It doesn't have to be that way. If you came together in churches to take care of one another by faith, hope, and charity... You would create bonds amongst yourselves that would allow you to come together in business to take care of business. You could, instead of you building a little tiny fishing boat with your own hands and going out on the waters to fish, you could build a big, huge fishing boat with a bunch of guys and call it a cooperative. Romans did this all the time. I saw people, boat people, coming over here from uh, uh, Vietnam who went down and hand, with a handful of hand tools. I mean, not even electrical tools at first. They built a shrimping boat on the beach and went out shrimping. They did it in their spare time while they were working in other places. And they would come every day after work and build a shrimping boat. They now own a fleet of shrimping boats. Or at least they did a number of years ago. I don't know what they're doing now. but uh, And they started with nothing. But they came together and worked together. When you don't come together and work together, the result is oligarchies will fill the vacuum 
And that's what he goes on to say. The result of these developments is an oligarchy of private capital uh, and the enormous power of which cannot be effectively checked even by democratically organized political society. Democratically organized political society, absolutely. But a Christian society could do it easily because they could come together and compete against the oligarchy. Because they would work together. The primary capital of society, especially in nature, is the labor of man. And when you can learn to work together, you can achieve power over all the oligarchies of the world. And how do you learn to work together? You learn to take care of one another, care about one another. Learn to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the purpose of the church, is to help teach you that. Not by sitting up there and giving you sermons for two hours in in some building, or even on the radio, as we have done for the last two hours. But it's to come together in a network of people that actually practice on a daily basis, charitable practices, of caring for one another. Caring not just for those who can scratch your back immediately, but those far away, casting your bread upon the waters. You should be gathering. Christ did not get crucified just to help out the apostles. He cast his bread upon the waters. He laid down his life so that he could have life more abundant. If you aren't doing that, don't expect to be free. Whether you learn dog Latin or commercial law or UCC or any of these things, do not expect to be free. You should not be free and you will not be free. Because you're not fulfilling your responsibility. The reason you've gone into bondage is because you've neglected your responsibilities to God and your fellow man. That's why you're in bondage. That's why your eyes were closed. That's why you couldn't hear, couldn't see what was coming. Because you wouldn't look at yourself, your own selfishness. You want to say, oh, it's the government's fault, or it's this leader's Mao's fault, or Stalin's fault, or no, it's your fault. And even after Stalin was dead, they did the same thing over and over again. Great deal of suffering. And I don't know, I doubt Russia has really turned around. The mafia still runs things. But there's elements growing in those countries. And America was a seedbed. Did you know that 30% of the American population is related to people who came over on the Mayflower? And half the people that came over on the Mayflower died. 30% of the American population is related. That's the statistics that they come up with to the people who came over on the Mayflower. There, There is a sleeping giant in America that can wake up. But in order to wake up, to have our eyes open, we need to turn around and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.